G'day Footyology listeners, Roko here. Enjoy our podcast? Well, you can become an official Footyology podcast supporter simply by using the supporter feature through ACAST. There's no subscription or regular commitment, just the sheer satisfaction that comes with knowing you've kept the debt collectors from our door. No, just kidding. It does help though. If you want to get started, you just need to follow the support this show link in the show description. Thanks again. And now let's get on with it. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast with Rowan Connolly and Robert Shaw. G'day everyone, welcome to the Footyology Podcast. This is week two of the finals preview or the semi-final edition. And as always in our midweek show, we are proudly brought to you by our official podcast partner, Palmerbet. Get tackle-busting benefits all this AFL season thanks to Palmerbet. Always remember to gamble responsibly. Well, um, we brought you at our review show, our last appearance, uh, one of the great weekends of finals football. Uh, If semi-final weekend, only half as many games, of course, but if both of them are anything like as good as the four last weekend were, we're in for a treat again, as I say, uh, a big hello to my Footyology podcast co-host, Mr. Robert Shaw. Well, it was, Ron, wasn't it? It's fantastic. And we uh, we await these two games and in the wings, uh, probably a couple of our favourites over the year. Uh, we've admired how Geelong have rebuilt their side and their tactics and their youth. And, of course, uh, I think we both had Sydney is um, not a surprise packet, but a real careful watch. And and they await the winners of these two games. And, uh, you know, you and I have debated and people have um, had interchanges with us about the value of the buy. We'll just leave it there. But I think um, I, I think those two sides waiting in the preliminary will, uh, will, will go through comfortably, Rowan. But that's for another day and another preview. Yes, well, two big semis to talk plenty about this week. Melbourne, Brisbane, and of course, uh, as good as Brisbane was in uh, upsetting Richmond's apple cart and tipping the Tigers out of the finals, this is a huge challenge for them, given one, their record at the MCG, and two, their record against Melbourne. They have been absolutely smashed by Melbourne twice this season. In the other one, big challenge for Fremantle, which... uh, engineered one of the great finals comebacks they have to take on uh collingwood in a final in melbourne at the mcg so uh big obstacle for them in that one too but both uh the lions and the dockers very capable sides so we will preview both the semis in uh, very fulsome detail pretty shortly but first As always, we have a new segment and we have, in the context of the future of the game and uh, revenue streams and media, uh, an absolutely massive story, uh, details which have come out today, and we're going to talk all about that right now. On Footyology Newsfeed. Well, what was I alluding to before? I was alluding to the new TV broadcast deal for AFL football, all the details of which have been announced today at a big press conference. And uh, we're going to run through the detail and the ramifications of that 
Uh, I mean, stories really in terms of the game's future, they probably don't come much bigger than this. And, uh, well, it has been an absolute windfall for the AFL. They've got a history of negotiating these deals to their advantage. And, boy, have they delivered this time, or specifically, I guess, Gil McLaughlin outgoing AFL CEO. He's been after some sort of legacy. Well, he's sealed it with this little baby. The AFL has landed a seven-year deal, and it is worth, if you haven't heard this, hang on to your hats, $4.5 billion, believe it or not. And uh, those rights uh, have gone to the Seven Network and Foxtel. And for seven years, that works out at about $642 million per year. Um, And uh, that bid was pushed up markedly uh, by some competitors like Channel 10 and Paramount, who bid $6 billion over 10 years and uh, Channel 9 and uh, Stan, which uh, is owned by Channel 9, they came quite late to the party. And uh, from memory, they were offering about $500 million a season, and that might have been over a slightly shorter time span too. But the AFL, uh, going with the incumbent rights holders. Um, so, you know, if you like the way your footy is delivered now, you'll be pretty happy that not much in that sense changes, although that's not strictly true because streaming is a big uh, new part of this new deal. So is Thursday night football, which is now going to be a a regular feature of the home and away calendar. Uh, I think from next season, you're going to see Thursday night games televised the first 15 rounds of the season. Uh, those games will go to Channel 7, which will allow Foxtel via Fox Footy to have eight what they're calling Super Saturdays, when all the games on those days will be exclusive to the pay TV network without diluting the number of free-to-air games being covered. The other big plus for Channel 7 um, as a trade-off, I guess, for that exclusivity with those Saturdays is Channel 7 having access um, to broadcast games on their streaming platforms now. So uh, if you're used to watching the footy via KO, now you will also need, uh, well, whatever seven streams on. But um, I think we've all got those uh, platforms, haven't we? So a bit of change to the detail of how these things are delivered. But when I talk about how massive a story is um it's not just about how football is broadcast to the nation of course it's about the revenue that goes into the game and uh, where that revenue will go um and clearly it goes to the clubs it goes to grassroots football it goes to women's football and robert and i know you're pretty happy about this one it uh, makes I would say a foregone conclusion, the entrance to the competition sooner than later of your native uh, territory, Robert. Well, you're quite, <clears throat> uh, excuse me, uh, you're quite right, Ron, of course, and that'll be um, that'll be fantastic. And um, I- I'm tipping um, uh, Brownlow medal time round about then. So what's that, three weeks or so? I think once all the presidents get together, um, which uh, Gil McLaughlin alluded to today, there'll be a, a very positive announcement and then the hard work does start. But I'm being a little bit um, 
A little bit smart here, Rowan, when I think you said it was a very competitive field. It sounds like it, doesn't it? Very competitive. Um, will that reflect on the presentation of the game to people? And do you think there will be a competitiveness in the voices and the faces bringing us the game? Um, you have long held the view that, well, I'll use my own words, inaccurate, unprofessional, unprepared, um, uh, uh, a boy sort of club, clubbish. Uh, I, I just hope that there was a little bit of a tap on the shoulder, uh, fix your commentators. Present, uh, present the game properly because on – I'm sorry to keep going, mate, 30 seconds. When I looked at the announcement, I reckon 9 out of 10 social media – said, I hope they fix the commentators. Nothing against these people personally. I, I like them all. I've met them all through football. But for goodness sake, Ryan, away you go. Uh, well, uh, they're noble sentiments and, of course, I share them and I think, as you said, most dyed-in-the-wall footy fans do. But will that be a priority? Uh, I'm almost certain it won't be because I think there's a real... <laughs> Unfortunately, I think there's a massive disconnect between the football public and uh, I'm not even necessarily talking about the people who run the game now. I'm talking about broadcasters. I'm talking about yeah. the public and mainstream media. Um, and I, I think some of the people making decisions about how the game is covered and talent, et cetera, really don't have much of a clue, to be perfectly honest. Or do I mean, they care? Uh, well, no, they don't. And, uh, uh, you know, I've talked about this before. In, in, and, uh, I mean, let's just take an example. Brian Taylor, we all know Brian Taylor is a polarising figure in terms of commentary. I know that, like Channel 7, are just as happy for people to hate BT. The object is to have him and the network and the coverage talked about. So that becomes the star, not the game that they're covering. There's a bigger issue in this, though, Robert, and yeah. I, I tweeted about this tonight. Good. I would hope that even before the AFL, you know, had some input, if it did, had some input on how the game will be broadcast, the very first thing that they should have been demanding, I think, is that, uh, and I'm looking at you, Fox Footy and Foxtel, that when they're covering games, we actually have commentary teams present at the games they are covering. Because, frankly, I think that's been a disgrace how... Thanks to COVID, initially, that was why commentators were working from interstate studios or like a Melbourne studio when games are in Perth or Adelaide or or Brisbane or Sydney. Um, but that has long since ceased to be a requirement and they've continued to do it anyway, purely in the interest of saving money. And the, the fact is, like I had this discussion with someone today, they said, well, you know, other sports do it occasionally too. Other sports aren't as difficult to cover as Australian football. It's played on a far bigger field with more participants and a lot happens both ahead of and behind the ball. And frankly, if you are doing particularly special comments, which requires you to see how the game unfolds and blokes positioning and whatever, then without being at the ground and only having access to what we're seeing on TV – it's an absolute waste of time. And I think it clearly has compromised the cause. We've heard calls where the people calling the game have no idea what has happened because the something significant has happened behind the
the play and they simply haven't been able to see what's going on. So, you know, like, great. We, we've got a, a windfall in terms of money and whatever. But, you know, let's let's get our priorities right here. For that sort of money, you should be demanding a really, really top quality broadcast of the game. And frankly, I think in recent years, we haven't been delivered a top quality broadcast of the game. And that's why I brought it up. Look, the, the AFLW is going to get a huge boost for this. Um, I just hope from my own personal experience that this opens up research spending and um, proper research on concussions in issues for players of my vintage and for future generations to come because that's clearly disappeared. So I hope funding is now allocated to these sort of things, grassroots football, Tasmania. There's so much that can be done for the benefit of the game. Okay, you and I have probably um, highlighted um, what we think is important to us, coverage of the game, painting the picture and not calling things like he's put it in the back of the net. Like, we we don't want these sayings creeping into our game. Where's the net? This was the other night, Ron. Where is the net? Well, who said that? I think it was Gil. Not Gil. Um, (laughs) Hamish. Hamish, I think, yeah. His his brother. Uh, It was one one of the four games. The ball went in the back of the net, Rowan. You know, so we we. Anyway, we were spoiled. We were spoiled in our days. Doug Haywood, these sort of callers, Peter Landy. Anyway, let's hope we get a change. But I don't think so, Ron. I think there'll be a smugness now. I think there'll be a, 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 you know, we're in the driver's seat for another seven years. Well, you'd hope they'd be. I'm I'm just having a look at some comments attributed to uh, Foxtel. CEO Patrick Delaney saying that Fox Footy is on the lookout for new commentators as part of the bid to appeal to a young you and go. vibrant audience. So there you go. Uh, that would be interesting. Seven says it'll consider its suite of shows around its telecasts. Um, I mean, that really has been pretty poor too. The lack of um, content beyond the actual broadcast of games by the official broadcaster. So you know, things like Talking Footy, which isn't part of their coverage anymore. Um, their Sunday morning show, Game Day, that bit the dust as well. Um, and, you know, ironically, it's uh, Channel 9, which doesn't have the the rights, which has, I think, three footy shows on during the week. So, yeah, look, the coverage, uh, you know, I, I, I think you might be right. I think they could be get a bit arrogant and a bit more, you know, we'll do what we as we please, I guess, Ultimately, the only way of keeping them honest is to complain, to uh, you know, threaten to withhold uh, purchasing power from advertisers who advertise during the telecast. So they're pretty mega corporations. So I don't know how easy that'd be. What about um, let's talk about more important stuff than that? Though, yeah. how how will the AFL spend this cash? So players will be asking. For the uh, 28% of the AFL revenue, uh, Tasmania, we're talking about somewhere in the order of 15 to 20 million a year for an annual special distribution for a team in its infancy. Um, be interesting to see whether this changes the equation on that ongoing debate about uh, Tasmania having a new stadium. And um, well, there were of- options put up today uh, from the Premier Rowan, so. 
um, a beautiful area down at the wharf or up on the a hill overlooking the river. There's certainly options there. The upgrade of uh, uh, York Park, two first-class stadiums. Um, <clears throat> and once again, I, I look, it'll be the biggest ticket in town, but I'm still concerned that they're looking to build the stadium with a capacity of 23,000. There's no doubt they'll fill it, but um, whether... I've got grave concerns about um, that the stadium won't be big enough, Rowan. Given, yeah, given okay. the close, given we've spoke about this a couple of weeks, given the close proximity of Tasmania to the mainland, yeah, like, and it's a holiday destination, a tourism. This becomes you and I both know that the first thing people do um, pre-COVID was get the fixture and say. Essen versus Fremantle in Perth, round three, I'm off. Book your tickets, book your accommodation, and then I'm going to Essen versus Brisbane in round 14. And and every club's doing that. So the cheapness of the prices to Tasmania and the proximity make this a, an outstanding venue for travelling supporters. They will come to Tasmania in their droves. All right, now, I, I know I don't want to repeat this same discussion, but I, I have to tell you I'm probably more at odds with you on this than anything we've talked about, and that's – and look, don't get me wrong here. I mean, if they d- decide to build a stadium, I'm I'm okay with it, but I'm, yeah. I'm just telling you, um, knowing, well, enough people who live there, enough uh, people involved in state politics there, um, you know, with some sort of clout – there is genuine anger, widespread anger in the Tasmanian community about the prospect of pouring that amount of money up up to a billion dollars into a new stadium when there are issues with health primarily and education. So and, there's no the, yeah, keep going. Sorry. Uh, okay. Well, the the other point I was going to make was, and this applies not just to Tasmania. I think this applies everywhere. You mentioned COVID. I think COVID has changed the equation significantly. I don't think we're going to see consistently big crowds at football games anymore. Now, yeah, we got 91,000 at Geelong Collingwood. We had a massive crowd for that Carlton Collingwood game. You're still going to get your three or four big ticket games. But I think the days of week in, week out, large football attendances might be a thing of the past. And I think COVID has expedited that uh, trend, but I think also live football coverage has also been a factor in that as well. So, I, you know, this is just my personal view. Um, and as much as I love football, I would be starting this team in the existing stadiums. And sure, if if they outgrow oh, I that, I probably will start in an existing stadium. Well, well, hang on, let me finish. I, I would just say if it it looks like it's going to outgrow those stadiums then you go with the new stadium. But I I just personally, from what I've been told, um, there is genuine, like someone actually said to me the other day, uh, a lot of people were, getting a Tasmanian team was huge, but they're actually now at a point where there's antipathy towards it because 
of the prospect of it chewing up that amount of money which should be going into more essential areas. And, of course, Perth, you know, I'll answer that flippantly because, and, of course, Perth's haven't got homeless, they haven't got medical issues, they haven't got um, hospital. Are we the only state with these issues that have built magnificent stadiums that have drawn people to them? Uh, What is West Australia... um, haven't got the issues. Well, I, I don't remember hearing anyone objecting to the new stadium being built in WA. I don't, mm. as I do with this one. And again, don't get me wrong. Like I'm not campaigning on this. I'm just no, telling, I know. I'm just telling you what I've been hearing. Yeah, I've got a Facebook page with six thousand died in the wool rusted on Tasmanians mm. on it. My my Facebook page um, of past players and family, and it would be. 75 for 25% against of 6,000. I think that's an outstanding sample of Tasmanian football people. Well, uh, sorry, pro building a new stadium, is that what you're saying? Uh, pro the team and, and the additional stadium, looking at Macquarie Point, looking at other areas. I think, um, look, let's just wait and see with the stadium. But... Uh, Let's just say, I'm telling you now that Blunston Arena, okay, they play AFL there. It's not up to standard. It's mm. not big enough. The, the the transport is poor in and out. There's one road leading across the river to Hobart. There's only one way to get there. The public transport access is poor. Uh, the ground holds, what, 13,000, 18,000 at, at best? And... and the, the, the facilities needing upgraded. Um, but Tasmanian football to push on, it has to build a new stadium. It won't be a mammoth 60,000 stadium, obviously. But my point has always been along because um, probably with a reasonable insight into the mindset of Tasmanian people and the capacity of the travelling people from Melbourne to see Tasmania as a sensational venue to come and watch football, I'm still saying... You're going to need a bigger boat. Okay. Yeah, no, well, it's a totally valid view and, and yeah. you have far more. They, and don't forget, Rowan, you're saying that these people have been starved at football. They've been starved at football. Okay, let's, you know, they haven't had their own team. You can't tell me the reaction when they get their own team. These other teams have lived lived off the, la- you know, the high life. Oh, Fremantle, we've got a team at West Coast and Port Adelaide and Adelaide. These people haven't had their own team. They've had to sit there down there for 100 years and watch and send their players, send their young people to Melbourne and all over the country to get a game in the national game. So when when our team comes to town, people are, you know, people of generations have been waiting for this. So anyway, so... We've got a couple of big games to talk about. It's getting very emotional, this. All right. Well, <laughs> fair enough. Um, well, getting back to the initial point, uh, you'd think that this absolute financial windfall increases the, um, I guess, the potential starting date or may bring forward the potential starting date of a Tasmanian team and uh, quite possibly increases the likelihood of that new stadium. And like I said, don't get me wrong on this. I'm not uh, actively saying, you know, there's no way they should have a new stadium. I'm just, you know, this this is what I'm hearing from people. Yeah. But 
you know. Oh, I'm hearing it too. But we're, yeah. we're, ta- we're talking to different sorts of people. So anyway, it's an interesting aspect of it, but that's when I said off the top of the show, you know, how important this bit of news is, it is important for the survival and the future of the entire game and not in fact even beyond the AFL because we're talking about investment in grassroots football which ensures the survival of the game so you know there are just so many things hinging off this one deal and there is absolutely no doubt that uh, that 4.5 billion dollars that figure is just out of this world so uh, the AFL Top brass would be absolutely cock a hoop. Yeah, it's fantastic. I would suggest. Can I All just right. say one small yes, thing? Yes, you can. Three free to air games, Rowan Thursday, Friday, and the Sunday 320 game. So exclusive rights to Foxtel on a Saturday. There'll be a 110 game, a 425. How, how's, how's that work, Rowan, for well, my, the average punter in the street? I, I did say this before. My understanding is um, that. Foxtel will have eight exclusive Saturdays. So on those oh, days, right. Sorry. all all five, uh, would it be five or four games? Four, I think, four, mate. Yeah. Would be exclusive to Foxtel. I think across the course of the season, it works out and on an average, like three and a half games for seven and five and a half games for Foxtel. And, and before anyone gets smart and says, how do you have a half game? That's the average, okay? Um, but yeah. uh yeah, look, you're going if you want to see the full season, um, you're gonna need uh Foxtel slash KO and Channel Seven. I think it's good though that we have, you know, um, I mean, and the governments, this is where the federal government deserves credit because they've come in and swinging on this one that um, you know, the governments of both political persuasions have been big on making sure enough quality sports stays on free-to-air television. And that's particularly important in this country, given the take-up of pay TV has always hovered below 30%, which is significantly lower than just about any other country in the Western world. All right, this isn't a podcast about the business of sport. This is a podcast about AFL footy, and we have two massive finals to preview right now. So let's do it. On Footyology, previews... With punch. The 2022 second semi-final being played first chronologically and it is at the MCG on Friday evening, 7.50pm. The combatants are Melbourne up against Brisbane. Palmerbet, our official podcast partners, partners, uh, you can always get tackle-busting benefits this AFL season. Thanks to Palmerbet. Always remember to gamble responsibly. And as we record this podcast, the odds in head-to-head betting have Melbourne a pretty substantial favourite. The Demons paying $1.35 head-to-head. Brisbane, if you've got a bit of faith in Brisbane, after that great win over Richmond last week, you can back the Lions. They are paying $3.23 head to head. A couple of little stats just to start us off here. Melbourne won their first 10 games this season. Been a bit of a battle since then. They are six wins and seven losses from their last 13 games this season. They have, however, won eight out of 10 clashes against Brisbane. 
Brisbane had the wobbles there for a while, but they've been pretty solid lately. They've won five of their last seven games now, the Lions. Where they're not solid, though, is on this very ground, the MCG. They have now lost their last 11 appearances at the MCG. And in fact, it gets even worse. They have lost 19 of 21 games at the MCG since the 2009 semi-final. So that's a fair old hoodoo they're going to have to get over if they are to get over the Demons and get through to a preliminary final. Your first thoughts on this one, Rob? Well, I'm going to direct our attention straight away to the first bounce, Ron, where there's some significant issues to discuss here. We know McInerney got sent off or off with the concussion rule and has to miss, and that makes up the first selection decision for me. Is it Darcy Fort or is it goes with McStay and Danaher again uh, to, to attack who I hope will be Max Gorn as the starting Ruckman. Now, we're not privy to the reason why he's been starting forward. There was a little bit in the paper today about an injury that he may have. But certainly Jackson needs to return to the goal square to support the out-of-form Brown, and the captain, Max Gorn, has to return to the centre square. What, What I think Brisbane will do, they will play Darcy Fort, because they have to use McStay and Danaher and Hipwood to combat Petty, May and Lee. So that's my first thoughts about uh, the lineups. Uh, all right. Well, let's have a look. Uh, sometimes previous meetings don't necessarily have a big impact on what's going to happen in the next one, but I reckon these two do because the emphatic nature of Melbourne's victories in both these games. So let's just refresh our memories. Round 15, they met at this same venue, the MCG, and the Demons smashed them. Uh, the final scores in that one, 16-21, 117 to just 7-11-53. So 37 scores that night, the Demons, to just 18. Um, the goals were spread around, but Fritch kicked three, Harms, Jordan, Pickett, Bedford, all each kick two. Viney was uh, and Petrarca terrific on the ball for the D's. Lever and May absolutely outstanding in defence, and uh, the Brisbane forwards really couldn't get warm that evening at all. Um, the second meeting just a couple of weeks ago, or three weeks ago now, at the Gabba, and once again the Demons did a number on the Lions by almost ten goals, fifty-eight points. The final scores in that one: eighteen-seven, one hundred and fifteen defeating a very tepid Brisbane 8 9 57. And uh, the goals that evening, four to Fritch, four to Pickett, three to Brown, two to Petrarca, uh, among the best, Oliver, Brayshaw, uh, Pickett, great up forward, May and Lever yet again. So clearly they're a major factor in this matchup against Brisbane. Petrarca, as you'd expect, Oliver and Petrarca, pretty much constant names in Melbourne's best. All right, I'm going to throw it back to you now, Rob, with uh, the following question. Uh, do Melbourne tag Lockie Neal? I would say very emphatically, yes. Uh, they have to after what could have been his career best game last week with 39 disposals. They've got history here, the Demons, and James Harms did a tagging job on Neil back in round 15. He was held to 22 disposals, which was his third worst return this season. 
The other two lower possession games Neil played were also games in which he was given a four-quarter tag, once by St Kilda's Marcus Windhager and the other time by Essendon's Jai Caldwell. Do Melbourne tag Lockie Neal? Well, Richmond didn't pay the penalty, I feel, as we saw one of the great midfield games um, I've seen, particularly in the clearances, 15 clearances. Um, not necessarily harms this time. They might have something up their sleeve um, in that they may go head-to-head. And when I say head-to-head, I mean head-to-head accountable. I wouldn't mind a Jack Viney, uh, Lockie Neal matchup. That would suit Melbourne because they're both at the coalface. Jack Viney's done those jobs before and can also attack off him, whereas I think Harms might be a little bit more defensive. But he can also go to the wing, um, uh, like to pick up a McCluggage or someone like that. Um, you're, you're quite right. I had them in my notes. Don't forget Windhager and don't forget Corwell have had success. I think it's a no-brainer. It has to happen, and I think Melbourne will do it very effectively. My gut feeling, Jack Viney. All right, here's my next question. Given how abject Brisbane's forward line has been in both those games, they kicked seven goals in the first one, eight goals in the second one. Uh, Joe Danaher couldn't couldn't get going at all. Um, Hipwood, not a factor. Uh, what do Brisbane possibly do to negate uh, the massive influence of May and Weaver? Well, they've got to separate them, and that's easier said than done. And that's why I think they have to go with Fort. So at least they have McStay, Danaher and Hipwood, and that'll be very interesting to see how um, Fagan sets up his forward line. I think um, Melbourne are going to still win in the key posts. I think Petty, May and Lever will be too good, but they can be isolated. They can be changed up because... As you've said, Rowan, what they've done in the past hasn't worked. They're always a chance, Brisbane, with Bailey, Cameron, McCarthy um, and Rayner coming back into the side at ground level. That's pretty special. And with Jaden Hunt and Christian Salem preferring to be attacking players, it really only leaves Michael Hibbert to play the lockdown probably on Cameron. So it's how, I think, yeah, long-winded, I know. It, it It's how they isolate May and make him accountable. We saw Franklin last week. Uh, it's a real challenge. All right. I uh, just want to get back on that midfield because those four Brisbane guys you just mentioned, yeah, they will all take turns up forward and all can weigh in with goals. I suspect they're all going to have to weigh in pretty heavily in, in terms of midfield minutes and midfield numbers as well. Selection is going to be hugely important in this. Now, will Petrarca play? Um, I must say, I'm quite taken aback by, you know, clearly my understanding of this isn't great, but I would have thought when someone has a, a hairline fracture in a leg, they're probably, they're probably pretty unlikely to play. But uh, apparently he is a pretty decent chance to play. So uh, that will just be a massive in or out for the Demons. And uh, obviously if he is out, um, you think uh, that increases Brisbane's chances. The other one for Melbourne is uh, Charlie Spargo, still in a fair bit of doubt, got an elbow to the throat, still can't talk properly apparently. So he is also 
in some doubt. The other one for Melbourne, do they take a chance on Tom McDonald? I'm, I'm very much getting the sense that they are not prepared to take a calculated gamble yet on Tom McDonald, despite the fact that uh, their own forward setup was pretty impotent last week. Would you well, be taking of, a risk on McDonald? Oh, the form of Jackson Pickett and Brown means it's got to be considered, but I think it would be a a big selection move um, in this final to bring in um, Wiedemann and McDonald. Mm. But it's not the worst idea, fresh. Um, I still think they'll put Jackson back to the forward pocket. Uh, his combination with Brown, they'll give Brown another go. Pickett can be hot and cold, but his form's been pretty good. But he'll come up against, um, I'm hoping we see Stasevich versus Pickett. It won't be an easy night for him. Or I'll throw another one at you. Despite Gardner doing very well on on Dustin Martin out of the goal square last week, um, could is Stasevich big and strong? tall enough to go with Fritch, who will be the mainstay of Melbourne's goal kicking. Well, I'll throw another one at you just out of left field. I noticed, uh, I mentioned before in that first meeting, Toby Bedford snuck in for two goals. I like Bedford as a player, and I reckon he gives him a bit of zip at ground level around near the goals. Just wonder, given Pickett's ordinary form last week, the fact that it's a night game might be a bit slippery, might make key forwards less of a factor. Maybe they uh, load up on on small, zippy ground level forwards and chuck Bedford in there. They won't take two risks, Rowan. Petrarca will play. And if Spargo doesn't play, I think you've nailed it. I think they bring in Bedford to, All right. to, to counterbalance um, look, the unpredictability of Pickett and the fact that he could be held by Hibbert. It just gives them another X factor, given the fact that Neil Bullen will probably play on Rich as a negating uh, half forward yeah. and will probably need to do that role given Rich's damage. So that opens the door for Bedford to come in to support Pickett. All right, we'll keep your eye on that one. Uh, all right, tip and margin, please. Um, I'm tipping Melbourne. I think their forward line um, – sorry, I'm tipping Melbourne – I think the their capacity to hold Brisbane's forward line uh, is has been shown, and unless Brisbane can come up with a something to break the petty May Lever cartel, I think it won't be the same sort of margin. But given evenness with injury, Brisbane will get back Noah Answorth, Cam Rayner, and they'll also have a look at Jared Lyons, who played uh, Neeful last week. We know McInerney's out and they could leave a couple out like Wilmot, uh, Jackson Pryor or even Mitch Robinson. I'm going for Melbourne by a very solid one goal a quarter, which will equate to 24 points, 25 points, Ron. A good solid win. All right. I'm in the same sort of ballpark. I am going for Melbourne to win by 28 points in Greasy, damp conditions, which means, you know, in those sort of conditions, 28 points is a fair sort of margin. All right. Thank you, Jane Bunn. That is the second semi-final. Let's talk about the first one. The first semi-final of 2022 is at the MCG on Saturday evening, 7.25 p.m., and the teams are Collingwood and Fremantle. 
Palmerbet, where you get tackle-busting benefits all this AFL season, thanks to Palmerbet. Always remember to gamble responsibly. What are they saying in terms of the head-to-head betting here? Well, like the other game, the home side, the Victorian side, the MCG home side is a pretty warm favourite. Collingwood paying $1.52 head-to-head. Fremantle, you can get $2.55 on the Dockers. Let's have a look at some uh, facts and figures about the two teams and the venue. Collingwood, of course, had an outstanding season. They have won 12 of their last 14 and another seven points last week, and that would be 13 of 14. Uh, that record in the close ones, it's took a it took a slight reversal last week, but it's still pretty impressive. They have won 11 of 13 games this season, decided by 11 points or less. And at the venue, Collingwood at the MCG until last week had won nine games straight. That's right, nine on the trot until Geelong beat them by six points. Fremantle has now won its past four games. Two of those victories, including last week's elimination final, coming over a finalist in the Western Bulldogs. Um, The Dockers lost to Collingwood in round 10, but they did beat Collingwood in their previous three meetings with the Pies prior to that game. Not by a lot. 12 points, 12 points, 4 points were the margins in those victories. What about the Dockers at the MCG? Well, they've only appeared there once this season, but it was a pretty good appearance. They upset Melbourne that night and beat the Demons by 38 points in round 11. That is their only visit to the MCG this year. Will that be a factor? Over the last five years, their record at the MCG isn't great. It's two wins and five losses. What are you thinking first up here, Rob? Just generally, I think both teams have aggressive and bold ball movement, exciting ball movement. Collingwood's is relentless and continue. Uh, Fremantle's can be spasmodic but brilliant. We saw what they did to the Western Bulldogs last week. So just a general early summary, um, both teams do value defence and both teams set up well. So to me, an early summation would be who can cause the most turnovers and errors of the other team's ball movement. And you would have to expect at the moment the experience, the ground, um, the form certainly favours the Collingwood side to be able to do that. Well, one thing that will certainly give them plenty of confidence is their one and only meeting with the Dockers this season. That was in Perth. But the venue didn't matter because Collingwood, uh, they fixed up the Dockers in this game and, in fact, held Fremantle to a pretty measly six goals whilst themselves kicking 12. This was in round 10 at Optus Stadium. The final scores that day, Collingwood 12-8-80, defeated Fremantle 6-8-44. And uh, a surprise contributor that day, Ollie Henry, was, in fact, the medical sub, came on to replace Mason Cox, and promptly kicked four goals. Uh, Ginevan, Hoskin, Elliott, and Majacek all also weighed in that day with two goals each. Uh, Crisp, outstanding for the Pies in that game. Uh, so was Taylor Adams, who unfortunately won't be there this time. Jeremy Howe, also really good in defence. And the Dockers really struggled. Will Brody was pretty good. David Mundy, pretty good. Sean Darcy battled hard in the ruck, but... That was pretty much the end of the penny section for the Dockers. Just before you go again, Rob, 
injuries a big uh, factor in this game. And unfortunately, I mentioned Taylor Adams. Uh, it's all over for Taylor Adams for 2022. Uh, completely ruptured his adductor muscle in that uh, game against Geelong last week. Won't even return to full training until January. So that was a really serious injury. Um, Jordan Degoe suffered a grain one, a grain one, grade one AC joint sprain, but he will be fit and will play. So that's a, a bit of a sigh of relief. And uh, Ash Johnson uh, corked glute. He copped at the weekend, but he's been cleared of significant damage. So uh, Adams, the big absentee for the Pies. Frio, well, Nat Fife, they're still iffy about him. They remain hopeful that he could play again this year. Uh, we're told he trained pretty well in a solo session on Monday, and that's the only look at we him we've had so far as we record this. So fingers crossed on uh, that front for the Dockers. Uh, that's about it for them in terms of their best choice 22. Oh, the other one is Matt Tabiner, of course, key forward Matt Tabiner. Um, played some uh, minutes in the waffle last week, not a heap, but he did actually get on the track um, or get on the ground, sorry, and will get on the track in the Dockers main training session on Wednesday. That will be an interesting selection call, Rob, because I thought young Jai Amos in just his second game looked pretty good and actually offered him a fair bit. Yeah, often him a different, uh, a, a, an awkward height, isn't he? He's a good leading player. I think they'll make the hard call, and I think they'll bring Tabiner back to team up with Lobb against Collingwood. That won't worry Collingwood that greatly because I think one of the highlights of this game is the outstanding and settled back lines that both of these teams have. Alex Pierce, Hayden Young's been outstanding, Liam Ryan, Jordan Clark uh, for uh, Fremantle. And, of course, Hal, Moore, uh, Murphy, Quainer, Maynard for Collingwood. Uh, so there's two very good back lines. I just want to address um, Taylor Adams, who missed three weeks going into the finals. So he wasn't a real factor, Rowan, and he wasn't a factor in the game. Um, I think he was fit to play. And if you look at the injury, I think it might have been totally unrelated. People say, oh, you carry an injury. He was fine. He slipped on that surface and really put pressure on his groin. But they will use, what they've done in the past, is use Elliot, Maynard, Dacos, Dugowie and Lipinski to absorb that role. So they'll increase their flexibility. All right, well, I want to put you on the spot here. Given his absence and, and granted what you said about his lack of influence, which side has the better midfield going into this game? Oh, it's a great... Uh, right, I'll go with um, Brody. Brayshaw, Akers, um, Mundy, Sarong, and Mundy. Up against, we have got Pendlebury, Dacos side bottom, Dagoe, Crisp, Adams is out, Lipinski. You, you can make a, a case for the for the for the Wharfies, can't you? Oh, absolutely. With, with that, I, no, absolutely. I, I, I would say not definitively, but I, I would confidently say I think Fremantle has a better midfield group and they, you know, they were just critical to that comeback, um, particularly Sarong and Brayshaw. I mean, Sarong was just, he was outstanding. He's a seriously good little player. Um, so that, That's that why is, I think they need Tabiner despite um, Amos's very encouraging form. 
they should get their hands on the footy rowing. It's yeah. how they're going to break down Collingwood's back line that's the key for me. And they, one way they can do it with this outstanding, exciting pace. Like that Brandon Walker, Michael Frederick, they can really motor. And they've also got some very, very dangerous medium forwards, Lockie Schiltz, Sam Switkowski, and, of course, uh, Michael Waters. There's a lot of danger in that half of the ground. Yeah, I think it's a really good call. I think they're going to have to be creative in how they find their goals. I mean, look, they're only uh, 12th-ranked um, side in terms of points scored, and uh, they're up against a side with a pretty good defence. Supplies, I think, ranked eighth for fewest points conceded. Mind you, the reverse supplies on that score, Frio have the second-best-ranked uh, defence in the competition in mm. terms of... Uh, fewer scores conceded, and the Pies, in terms of attack, only have the 10th best attack. So um, I think you're looking at what is likely to be a pretty low-scoring game, I think, and it's going to be about which side can get more creative and inventive in terms of um, creating scoring opportunities. And that's where I'm going to throw in, I'm making a habit of this in these two games, I threw up Toby Bedford for Melbourne. I'll get another guy who I think is going to be more critical to the outcome of this game than you'd think. Do you know who where I'm going? And he's a Collingwood uh, forward. Collingwood forward? No, yeah. keep going. Make it your own. I think Ash Johnson is a really important part of that Collingwood forward setup. He's exciting. He's got a bit of X factor about him. He's got a great leap. He's mobile. He kicks goals from out of his you-know-what. Um, I think... Every time I've seen the Pies and they've impressed and been able to manufacture decent scores, he's been part of that. He's only come into, into the equation later in the year, but I, I already think he's a pretty important player for the Pies. And I reckon if As Johnson bobs up and kicks uh, three, Collingwood will absolutely win this game. I've got a related comment for you. In the last – I went back at this because of Adam's out and I looked at who's been the medical sub. They've used the tall ones the last few weeks. Um, Henry, who you spoke about, yep. that can come in and kick a goal, and also Kruger that came in, took a really nice mark, looked good. But they're going to have to bring in – I don't think they'll bring in another tall unless they're not happy with Mason Cox's form. So in the wings they have Trent Bianco, who played a very good game against Essendon in that uh, stunning victory and also Callum Brown, who's had a lot of opportunities. So Collingwood have got a decision to make whether it's one-for-one, uh, um, one, like a midfielder in, Bianco or Brown, or they elevate Henry or Kruger into the starting 22 and make Brown or Bianco the medical sub. Well, interesting selection query for uh, Craig McRae and coaching crew to ponder. All right, let's get your tip and margin, please. A real close one, Rowan. Yeah, I, 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 we've we've spoken and given praise to both these sides. In some ways, they're very, very similar. They've got similar strengths. I think it comes back to um, uh, uh, Collingwood's ability to play the Melbourne Cricket Ground. Their comfort in a respectful way. Their comfort there. Uh, their confidence as a team. I just think they'll be a shade too good for what I would consider will be a really good performance by Fremantle. So I'm saying 
Mate, history tells us it's a close game. So I'm going for Collingwood by 11 points. And again, I'm uh, I'm thinking what you're thinking. And uh, look, you don't want to oversimplify it, and we've got pretty in-depth. But it, in the end, I just think the venue yeah. and uh, the occasion and the crowd makes a significant difference. I think these are oh. two teams that are pretty level, but the fact that it's at the MCG and not Optus Stadium means Collingwood are four goals better off than they would be. Would you be change your tip, Rowan? Yeah, if it was in Perth, I'd be tipping Frio. Absolutely. Really? Yeah. Okay. Yep. I, right. I think I think it is a massive factor. It's not the only factor, and I I do give Frio a chance, but <laughs> I I reckon it's about four goals better they're yeah. going to have to be at the MCG than they would at home, and uh, given how good Collingwood is, and don't forget, you know they came within a goal of upsetting the side that finished two games clear yeah. on top of the ladder. That was a pretty damn good performance given. Uh, the pre-season expectations on the pies. And I don't Mate, I'm not laughing at you. I'm laughing with you on the fact that we've analysed this, what we think is with an inch of its life and the best we can come up with, home ground advantage and crowd. Well, I, I, th- <laughs> and, I think, and, and I think it, it's the decisive I, yeah, factor. I do. I agree. I agree. So I am going also for the pies and uh, I'm going for an even slimmer margin than yourself. I'm going Collingwood by eight points. So those tips, again, we're both going with the same two teams. Uh, I've tipped Melbourne to beat Brisbane by 28 points. Robert Shaw has Melbourne by 25 points. And we're both tipping Collingwood to prevail against Fremantle. Collingwood by eight points for me. And Shorey has Collingwood by 11 points. That is our two semifinals previewed. Uh, Thanks for tuning in. Thanks, as usual, to our wonderful podcast partners, Palmerbet where you get tackle-busting benefits all this AFL season. Um, we really appreciate the support of our loyal audience. And if you want to continue to support us, you can weigh in with a bit of coin or folding stuff or credit card numbers or whatever you like, PayPal account, you name it. As long as it uh, it goes through a turnstile, we're interested. Uh, you will find a link to the ACAST support page on the show description wherever you're listening to this podcast. And while you're at it, why not become an official Footyology patron? And there's links on the Footyology website, footyology.com.au, to Patreon, which is a wonderful supporter of independent writing, journalism, media, and publishing. So uh, get behind the whole Footyology operation on Patreon. $7 Australian per month is what we're asking there. And we'll ensure that, uh, as we say in the ad, you keep the debt collectors from our door because it's a pretty tenuous existence, this life, when you're not attached to a major media outlet. But who needs that? We get to say and do what we think, and our independence is what we value. So it's worth living on bread and water for that, isn't it, Rob? Don't it's my word. Don't, oh, I was going to say, don't answer that, but that was obviously insincere, so go right ahead. Um, thanks for listening, everyone. Uh, let's hope we get finals that are anywhere near as good as last week's because uh, it's turning into a terrific final series. And we will be back after those two semifinals to review them in thorough forensic detail. We'll see you then. Listener.